Well, uh, this, this time of day and in a conference like this, some of you guys are going to be tired, so we do have some napping pews. If you need to stretch out, I will not be offended. We'll pretend like you're Eutychus and lay hands on you and raise you from your slumber. Uh, actually not. Um, I'm glad to be here. And this conversation we're moving into now has been one that um, has been central to uh, my ongoing need for freedom and healing. Uh, You've heard me describe myself in terms of my self-awareness as an introvert with extroverted gifts. Uh, Doing this would more likely incline some of you to think that I am a far more extroverted, uh, hang out with a whole bunch of people, that's easy for me, etc. It, it actually is not. Um, through the brokenness of my story and through the temperament God's given me, I uh, enjoy being by myself. In fact, uh, unapologetically, I know I need alone time to refuel. That's, that's, that's a part of my stewardship. I do need alone time. But um, more than alone time, I need to walk with men like yourself. Um, there, there is nothing about the Christian life that has designed it to be a solo sport. Uh, God has made us for community. It's not good for a man to be alone. And that's not just talking about the issue of, of marriage. And because some of us do have the gift of singleness, but none of us have the calling to aloneness. And I'm going to take you through uh, this afternoon seven dimensions of relationship that I think are, are, are important. And I don't want it to come across, however, as, as a list of stuff you got to go get. Uh, in, in many ways, the gospel is the end to lists. Uh, but it's an introduction to a way of life that, that requires components for us to more fully engage with it. And, and, and relationships, irrespective of your Myers-Briggs, uh, relationships, irrespective of your Enneagram, irrespective of any personality profile you've ever taken, we all need each other. And for those of us involved in vocational ministry, at times there's a distinctive part of us that um, is with a bunch of people, but we don't necessarily go deep with others in the way we should. So seven kinds of relationships I'm going to talk about, all which are a part of fulfilling a wonderful image that I want to start with. If you have a Bible, electronically or leather bound, please turn with me initially to Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. I'm going to look at the first story in the second chapter, And, and to me it's become one of my favorite images of men walking with men. And uh, gives some uh, tremendous insight into the way and means of grace. And I hope this really does impact your heart. So again, not going to give you a list of things to do, but, but maybe a delineation more of a way to live life with men and, and, and talking about some of the very critical dimensions of relationship that we need to receive and give each other. This is the word of our Lord. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered there that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. 
Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus, could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the mat and the paralyzed man, which the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, what a critical image. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> How right they were. Absolutely, only God can forgive sins. Had no clue this is God incarnate right here. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took up his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God for his word. Well, the, the image I want you to gather there is, is friendship as five paralytics, each taking their term on the mat, taking one another to Jesus. I mean, just think through the image here. You've got this great picture of some men that are aware that Jesus can do something in the life of their friend that no one else can do. And there's a lot of risk involved in that, a lot of sacrifice. You know, four guys taking a corner of a mat, taking this man to Jesus. It's not easy. Creatively, they lower him through the roof, and we see our Lord, who is the Lord of, uh, of every single need we have. Uh, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, we see um, the Lord Jesus bringing healing to this paralytic. Well, well I, I love the image of these men loving their friend well enough to know that there's something uh, very critical about taking a friend to Jesus. But, but what would it be for us, literally, in, 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 in our friendships, to, to see all of us in that picture together? And, and, and the, the image would be this. We're, we're all paralyzed. Jesus has come to set captives free. Uh, we, we all suffer from um, both being agents of sin and being victims of sin. And, and, and we carry within us genetically, anatomically, inherited from Adam, part of our stories in life, all kinds of things for which Jesus alone is sufficient. So the image I love is, and, and the men I walk with now more closely than ever, we all know ourselves to be paralyzed, and we all know that none of us is the fourth member of the Trinity, so we all want to learn how to take each other to Jesus. Now, that's what we want to talk about. What does it mean to live in such a fashion that you own your illness 
and you realize that Jesus is the resolve, and yet giving your friends the gift of your unbrokenness and entering into each other's stories and life and struggles and, 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 and knowing that even as sometimes we don't ourselves have faith for our own illness, God honors the faith of the brothers. Now, the seven categories I have for you, we're going to walk through, uh, are, are these. I'm going to mention them. They're on the screen. They will be on the screen. In fact, let's just go ahead and as our brother wants to flash one or more, we can. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you seven dimensions of friendship I want to talk about in this hour. And, uh, and I hope as you hear these seven, that the last thing you would do would be to go to guilt and shame if you have none of them. I, I want you to know some of you have already tasted little modicums of, of giving your brokenness to a brother since you've been here, and there's probably some more that would take place before you leave. But here, here, are, here are seven dimensions of friendship. First and foremost, I'm going to talk about a gospel posse. And I'm going to talk about what a posse is. Then I'm going to talk about the importance of live models of grace, and dead mentors of grace. I'm going to talk about a few praying friends with a big Jesus and callous knees. I'm going to talk about a couple of gospel fanny kickers, a few gospel-crazed protégés, and some joy warriors. Now, all of these to me describe aspects of what grace does in the hearts of men who are seeking to come even more fully alive to the only love that is better than life, the only love that will never let go of us, the love that God has lavished on us in Jesus. So first of all, I want to talk about this image of, of having a gospel posse. Uh, what is a posse? Well, I came upon the image of posse growing up watching old cowboy movies. And... Uh, Part of my heritage was growing up in Graham, North Carolina, a very small town between Greensboro, North Carolina, and Chapel Hill, where I went to undergraduate school. Uh, we used to go for a quarter on Saturday morning to a double feature. The, the, a quarter would buy you two movies and a bag of popcorn. Long time ago. And invariably, uh, one of those Sunday morning movies was a cowboy movie. Just kind of was the culture I grew up in. Then it was usually kind of a very great B or C monster movie or, or something like that. But the cowboy movies, they, they had posses. Now, here are some elements of a posse. And it's not that you're going to be quizzed on this, but just get the dimension of walking with a group of men in this way of life. Uh, first of all, a posse is appointed by a sheriff. They are on mission together. They share life, chow, and conversation around the campfire. They duck arrows, take hits, and they come after one another. And in time, they end up burying one another. You know, a, a, a posse is brought together for a mission. Sheriff commissions them, and, and, and they share dimensions of life that are dangerous. There's a harmonica player in the bunch. You know, they, they sit around, they eat, you know, you know, beef and drink burnt coffee and uh, sing songs and, 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 and they go to war. And some of them die. Brothers, I don't know right now in your story who you think about would be grabbing at least the six different places on your casket. And I don't want you to go to that morbid place right now, but, you know, if your wife had 
to decide who your pallbearers are going to be, who would she choose from? And, and even right now, if, if you were to say, you know, here, here's, here's, here's the men I'm walking with in life that I would say, I, I want, would want these men to commit my body uh, as a seed yet to be resurrected to the earth. A lot of guys could not come up with six names that they would say, if I had to choose my pallbearers, here's who they would be. Oh, you, you might go to some of the basics, well, you know, some of your family members, but, but think about men in your life that do life together with you. Well, I was privileged about 17 years ago to be invited into what has become a gospel posse. And there's a group of men, about 15 of us, that have been walking with now for 17 years. And, 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 and we, we're, we're, we're basically a posse. But I want to talk to you about this group and, and not say to you uh, either envy me or pity you with regard to where you may be in such a, a dimension of relationship. But, but, but I didn't seek this bunch out. Uh, I, I'm glad that uh, uh, one of our oldest brothers in our group kind of just got a bunch of us together out of a concern for men in ministry who live way too alone. And now for 17 years, we meet uh, every October for a week in Atlanta at a uh, better part of a week at a um, Methodist conference center called Simpsonwood. And, and our days uh, through those 17 years increasingly have gotten more and more honest and vulnerable and meaningful. When we first started meeting uh, our our um, older brother that put us together, a remarkable man named Terry Geiger. Terry Geiger used to be uh, uh, one of Tim Keller's executive pastors. He's 75, 76, 77 right now. He's in my tribe called the PCA, but a, a, a very wise man of God. And he saw a lot of us, maybe uh, mostly 10 years younger than him. He had a concern for them. So he brought us together and, and, and originally, the group is going to be, uh, let's get together three or four days. Let's talk about important topics, which we still do. Let's talk about the three most important books we read that year. Let's spend time with conversation. Let's go to a movie, come back, critique the movie, etc. And you know what? That would be good. And if that's all you can do to start with, that would not be a bad thing to begin establishing a long-term rhythm with a group of men that, that you would say, we're not just together annually, but during the course of the year, we got natural bridges. We'll be checking in with one another and let's stimulate each other intellectually, spiritually, etc. But as we've been walking for 17 years, brothers, we've got more and more and more and more honest and real. We're all becoming velveteen rabbits. That's an odd image, right? Who wants to be a you know, a, a rabbit with your eye falling out and your fur getting kind of a... Well, the image is this. If, you, if the gospel is the core of what you're doing, in time, somebody's going to say, I'm tired of pretending I suck at life. And sure enough, through the course of the years, we've gone through deep, you know, members of our community with, with a deep depression. I was walking with that bunch of guys when I began to process a lot of the story that you've heard me share in brief, uh, even yesterday. Um, and and, and I, I'm not, I, there's no need for me to tell you who's in our group, and it's not a private uh, gospel Illuminati, but, but that would not be helpful to you. But there are a lot of people whose names you would know. But the joy I 
want to tell you with is this. Uh, because of a, an older brother that had a concern for men like ourselves who were not making margin for relationship, he put something in motion now that is so vital to each of us. And now when we meet, and our next meeting will be this coming October, the highlight of our time is sharing our stories. Where are you right now? What's going on in your life? And we lay hands on each other. And uh, increasingly, as we have met through that decade and a half, there are more tears, there's more honesty. One of the guys in our group, we walked through with him, a very high-profile guy, uh, extraordinarily gifted, but um, uh, his story really perhaps uh, changed the dynamic of our gospel posse in a significant way. Here's a brother who went into a two-year, nearly three-year prescription drug addiction that he kept hidden from all of us until by God's grace he got exposed 19 different doctors in this congregation came forward to say so you've been writing prescriptions for him too and this guy is profoundly gifted and you know what one October when we were having our meeting he was also in Atlanta in a rehab center and we kind of looked at each other and said, who knew? How, how, how did that happen with none of us know? How did our brother develop a chemical addiction and we did not know? Well, you know what? Stewarding his story together started a domino effect of where man after man after man became more courageous to say, here's a part of what it feels like right now to be me. And, and guys... Um, I mean, I will certainly talk more about what we do in that group and all that, and that would be an appropriate question for you to ask. But the main thing I want you to hear is this. Uh, uh, a gospel posse is just a great way of describing our call to be walking with other brothers over the long haul with a deliberate commitment to be men that would say, how can this amazing grace be? further penetrate my heart and what it means for us to do life together. Um, what might that look for some of you? Well, you don't need to have 15 men. You, you don't need to meet in Atlanta every year. In fact, I would just even ask some of you right now, when you hear the image of, of, of men walking with men that provides some continuity and some connection, uh, most of us happen to be Presbyterian types, either from the Evangelical Presbyterian Church or uh, the PCA, but, but that makes no difference other than there was some affinity of relationship. Who's in your life right now that if someone would take the initiative, something might begin to happen whereby you, you could walk together. Um, gospel posse, I mean, we're... we're it's a horrible thing to try to pull arrows out of your own back. You know, when, when you're on mission together and, 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 and you know the kinds of things that Daryl so profoundly talked about today, it is an absolute biblical given. You stay in ministry long enough and you're going to want to do something else. Are we glad the Bible's so honest? The, the, the Bible's the only... No spin zone. It's a lot more honest and real. I mean, just, just look what God did not edit out of the Scripture. Even with regard to His own leaders like you and me, aren't you glad God left the two times that Abraham traded in Sarah as his sister? 
I mean, couldn't God have just told that story one time and we got the point? No, twice. The, 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 the father of the faithful. Uh, he, under any number of weak need realities, she's not my wife, she's my sister. I'm so thankful those stories are there. I'm thankful that the story of Noah preaches righteousness for 100 years, builds the boat, floats the boat, lands the boat, has a one-person keg party, gets naked and curses his boys. Doesn't look too good for, you know, kind of where that was going, but I'm glad that story's there. Not because I, too, want to have a one-man keg party and get naked, but you know what? You can't do life by yourself, brothers. When we sing the hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, that's not just a nice hymn. Uh, that brother that wrote that hymn definitely wandered. Very, very strong story. Um, so thankful that, that God chronicles for us the weakness of Peter. So glad God chronicles for us just time and time and time again that, 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 that we do need each other. So uh, a, a, a posse for us, let me tell you just a bit more about that group because I want to talk about these other images as well. A, a, a posse is a group of guys that you're, you're working and walking with, not just anticipating when you blow it, but there is stimulation. I love the fact that we get together in our group and, and we talk through Christ and culture issues. I love the fact that we read. I, l- I love the fact that we... Uh, uh, make time to have meals together. That's one of the great things about a posse. You eat a lot together. And, and we men love to eat, but there's something about table fellowship. It's a profound metaphor where you linger at table. You don't simply eat to get on with the next thing, but you have conversation. You break bread. You serve one another. You care for one another. Uh, brothers, all these images are going to presuppose you'll say no to some things in order to have these things. I know you're all busy. See, I hid behind my busyness for years as a way of, of, of keeping people out of my life. Uh, I would not dare do life and ministry alone ever again. Now, I'm capable of doing that. I'm capable of hiddenness, just like you are. But I know now the kinds of friendships that grace alone can create, that grace culture that Ray keeps hammering into us. It is so critical. It is essential that we understand orthodoxy of gospel and orthodoxy of relationship together. They go hand in hand. So, um, you know, just, just, just maybe a way of leaning into that would be is if, if you've got good friends right now that you've walked within a way of connection uh, and that's got... And you no longer have margin for that. Repent. Don't let the good become the enemy of the best. Most of our battles that we fight as men, most of them, not all of them, but most of them are failing to realize that that good stuff you're about really is keeping from you the more critical stuff. So I challenge all of you to think about building a posse. It may be just three people. It doesn't have to be a big posse. It doesn't have to be flashy, just the rhythms of life where there's deliberate gospel intentionality to walk together, pray together, know each other. These other dimensions maybe will help you understand more what that looks like. So let me go into some of these other images of 
of things that I challenge you to put into your life relationally because the gospel's true and because you're a big sinner with an even bigger savior. Second thing I'm gonna talk about is live models of grace. Live models of grace. Um, that's not mutually exclusive from a group of people you might be walking with because the truth is you, you may find community with some of the men that you would say, he really, here's the brothers that are showing me this way of grace and I have access to them. But, but it's not necessarily the case that you have strong, close relationship with live models of grace. Uh, I want all of us to have better images in our mind happens when grace comes to, more, to a more explosive defining reality in the life of any man, whether you know them or not. Get some good models for me. Let me give you a few names so you can, can understand what that has looked like and looks like right now. Uh, the live models of grace that I, you know, I'm so humble that I've had were Jack and Rosemary Miller. Now, I had Jack as a spiritual father for 21 years from 1975 to 1996. And I know I am one of the richest men in this room for simply having had the privilege of such a live model of grace. I saw what happened when a self-righteous, orthodox, Presbyterian church, Westminster Seminary faculty member got humbled by God, repented of his self-righteousness, and became giddy alive to the gospel of God's grace. I got to see it. And I will forget when I started Westminster Seminary in 75 what Dan Allender, who was also a classmate of mine in that day, said about Jack Miller. If some of you know who Dan is, you'll appreciate this. Dan said to me one time, he said, Scotty, when we started Westminster, I saw Jack Miller. And the first time I saw him, I said, that's the most dangerous man I think I've ever seen. I am going to avoid him. Jack was dangerous with freedom. I mean... Uh, the, the, the struggle for reputation, the struggle for identity, it, it, that died for Jack when he came alive to the love of God in Jesus. I got to watch a man come alive. His wife, Rosemarie, as we sit here today, Rosemarie is 89 years old and is still in London sharing the gospel with Sikh, Hindi, and Muslim women. Muslim women. 89 years old. Close to 90. So I, I, I've had some live models. I've, I've watched when grace comes to town. Here's what happens. And, 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 and you know what? You can, you, can, you can see, you can hear about people like that. And, and, and you, you don't necessarily at all have to live close to them. But you've got to see in your own eyes. Because I want every man in this room to say, Lord, if, if, if I should hoist the cells of my heart more to the wind of your spirit, what does that look like? Let me give you some other names. Um, right now, Ray Orland is one of my uh, live models of grace. Ray and I did not know each other except by name before we came to Nashville, but I know enough of life in Nashville for Ray to know what he has lived through, and I've watched someone stay present in a, at times, difficult to steward story and come alive to grace. Don't you love to watch Ray preach? When I watch Ray preach, it's like you're watching him preach to himself and we get to overhear the conversation. He sees something in the text and it's almost like he's, you know, schizophrenic with this wonderful thing going on. Like, do you see that? Yes. Uh, thank you. The way you do that. 
I mean, I mean, see that when you so I would say for those of you that have been exposed to Ray these couple of days, you've never met him before. Uh, don't just remember the profound things he said. But say, Lord, it's wonderful to watch someone enjoy you so much and clearly evidence they want to know more of you. So I, I, I don't know, you know, in your orbit right now, kind of what that looks like. But you see, let me tell you another man in, in my story uh, that's a contemporary that actually this story happened in our congregation. Um, years ago, when we were still in downtown Franklin, uh, I used to teach uh, Tuesday morning uh, a women's Bible study that, that uh, men that were available on Tuesday morning could come to as well. I had an early Wednesday morning version for men, but, but uh, this particular year I was teaching through the book of Romans and I, I kept watching a very, very sad man come with his wife and sit in the pew. And this guy looked like he had a permanent frown on his face. Just imagine the most uh, depressed looking human being, shoulder stooping, frown. Well, this man in time sitting in that Roman study began to hear the gospel. I had no clue what his vocation was in life. Come to find out, this dear brother graduated from Princeton Seminary, won the preaching award at Princeton Seminary, finished first in his class, was, grew up in a ministry family of a somewhat Pentecostal charismatic uh, background, went to Florida, where in Florida he became full bore pulled into a sexual addiction. His name is Nate Larkin. Maybe some of you know the name of Nate Larkin. If you've ever heard of uh, the Samson Society or Samson and the Pirate Monks is the name of his book. That'll kind of pull you in. You know, what's a pirate monk? It's kind of a version of Sinner Saint, but we won't go there quite now. But I watched a man who absolutely is one of the more gifted preachers I've ever met uh, I watched a man's story of being so sucked in to not an occasional abuse of pornography. His book uh, starts in the first chapter about going on a Christmas Eve at his church in Florida to offer communion, stopping to be with a hooker before he follows through to go give communion to his congregation. In God's grace, he got wondrously exposed, lost it all, ended up in Franklin, Tennessee, no real background and the wonders of the gospel that you brothers have been wallowing in with me these two days, these three days. And I watched him come alive. And I see now a man that lives in Franklin whose almost permanent office is the downtown Franklin Five Point Starbucks meets with man after man after man, simply inviting them into the honesty and the reality of saying, me too. Nate is a healthy growing man in the gospel. And chapters of the Samson Society are growing up around the country. And I'm not here even to talk about Samson Society. I'm just saying, I love seeing what happens in the life of any man, whatever their degree of brokenness or their self-righteousness. Who do you, who have you already, who in your life have you visually seen? That's what it looks like. And I want you to have those images, not as a basis of comparing what you don't have, but to, but to understand, brothers, God intends the same for you. I mean, if he could do it for Ray Orland, why wouldn't he do it for you, right, Ray? And I mean that. Or for me, for Nate Larkin. I mean, can you imagine to, be, to have sunk that low in your brokenness that literally, 
I mean, and, and see what Nate did when he was in, in the Nashville area. He didn't know where, where do addicts go that are evangelicals. He literally started going to SA, sexaholics, and it was there he discovered that in some ways the recovery movement is the church's unpaid bills. He said, why was it that I found out in even secular-based 12-step groups, more honesty, more gospel culture, open and honesty than I found in most churches? So guys, I don't, I don't, again, conversation today is not, what do you think about the 12 steps and AA and all that at all? Listen, there are, there are common grace realities in our culture that show us, again, a lot of what Ray's been talking about. When, when, when grace goes deeper into my heart, your heart, our culture, there is a greater freedom to say, me too. In fact, I love, that's the way C.S. Lewis described good friendship. He said a friendship begins when you look across the table and, you, and one brother says to another, me too. So, live models of grace. John Stott has forever been one of my, he, at that time, he's in heaven now, but I got, I got to meet and spend a week with John Stott one time. But before I met him, I would, re, I would hear him preach. I would read his commentaries and I would think, so this is, this is, where, this is where Christ takes you. This is what it means to understand the wonders of what's going on in the Bible. And then I spent a week with John Stott, and it was a marvelous time. We got to study First and Second Thessalonians and go bird watching with him. It's just 20 pastors and wives and, uh, and, and, and got to see the man and feel the man and touch the man and know the man and hear him pray. And, you know, uh, brothers, just, just think about in your own life right now, who's the Lord already put within the purview of your gaze don't compare yourself as a legalist, but would you allow yourself to get hungry and thirsty and say, Lord, would you do that in my heart? And don't crave their gift, crave their freedom. Again, I love the theological mind that God has given Ray Orland, but I love even more watching the man right now. And this is not a flattery contest. Thirdly, dead mentors of grace. You can, this may be the easiest one you can get. You don't have to go anywhere. But again, think about what, what this means. So, you know, God has used in my life, and probably in a way that even makes walking with brothers in an honest rhythm of life more a reality, uh, I began to read different people, uh, many of whom have been in heaven for two or three hundred years, and, and, and allow myself to say, so that's the implications of this gospel. Uh, see, uh, brothers, part of my story is I gave up a near addiction of alcohol for a near addiction with Reformed theology. And you know what? Alcohol and Reformed reform theology can function similarly. What alcohol did for me gave, gave me a sense of control. Uh, you know, I, I lost my inhibitions. Uh, I, I, was, uh, I thought I was in control. You know, when I became a, I became a mean-spirited Calvinist that did the same thing. I'm right, you're wrong. I've got answers for anything. And, and, and I abused a good theology basically to self-protect my heart. And that's not good. So, the re so therefore, when I talk about dead mentors of grace, think about this. Men and women smitten with gospel astonishment, disarming humility, and bold love. Who shows that to you uh, who, uh, either through good art, film, novels, in life? For me, that started with the Apostle Paul. 
when I first started reading the Apostle Paul as a man changed by grace, it gave me a greater appreciation for his theology of grace. I mean, study the life of Paul and really look at that self-righteous dude be dealt with by a God that blinds him that he might see. I mean, you, it, it's just a marvelous thing. Now, I, you know, I, the book of Ephesians was used profoundly by God uh, to help me move from a very eclectic theology to a more comprehensive appreciation for the Reformed categories. But I, I became Reformed before I had the categories. And I love it when the Bible you know, convinces you of God and His sovereign grace before you start you know, uh, reaching for the uh, sun visor, secret handshake, and the club song. Uh, so, uh, but but I, 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 I just got enamored with Paul, you know, and, and the doxological wonder of his heart. And again, it, it stirred within me, Lord, I, you know, I, I want to be in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, man. You know, in the Greek there, that being one sentence in the Greek, Paul starts talking about the wonders of what God's done for us before the world began and then the time, space, history, the acting out of Christ's work on our behalf. There's no place to put a comma, semicolon, or anything. It's just one big sentence of gospel wonder. And I started thinking, what kind of man writes like that? How did grace change Paul like that? And it really began to expose my pragmatism, my moralism, all that stuff, and also my terrible aloneness because you can't read the book of Acts. You can't read Paul's epistles without realizing this man walked with other men. The God of all comfort who comforts the downcast sent Titus. You know, just so many great pictures of how Paul, Paul, man, I think Paul had several gospel posses. He, he just really knew the need to have those before him and those behind him, which we'll come to in a minute. But, but some of my other people that have gripped, you know, ripped and gripped my heart, um, I agree with uh, my brother Ray, uh, George Whitfield. You, you want to you read about someone you think, that's a dangerous man. That man's got way more joy than a whole colony deserves. And, you know, one of the great stories that helped me was to read uh, Dalimore's um, biography of Charles Wesley. Uh, and it tells the story of how George Whitfield showed up in the friendship with John and Charles Wesley and how Charles Wesley, this sweet guy, tried to navigate between George and John. George was so much more willing to engage John Wesley than John was willing to engage George. And, but you just really see grace and play in relationship and this remarkably gifted Holy Ghost anointed Whitfield preaching where 20,000 people could hear without amplification but a man that would say to John Wesley, look, let's don't, let's don't fight our theological battles publicly. We disagree about baptism. We disagree about predestination. Let's love each other. We're on the same team. And I thought, what a great model. Getting back to what Daryl said today, when you're at war, you don't shoot your friends. <laughs> but, but grace changed George Whitfield. He wasn't just a gifted man that we should say, how did he do that? You know, and Grace does that. I love reading about him. Um, Spurgeon, he's one of my dead guys, dead mentors of Grace. What a remarkable story. A man that struggled with depression. A man that struggled with gout. You know, he had to, season, latter season of his life, he had to go down to Italy to winter because he was a very sick, sick man. Um, but you read his lectures, you read his sermons, and you see 
Lord, okay, I'm going to put aside the, the uber giftedness of Spurgeon, who was preaching sermons at age 18 and 19 of the same quality of when he was, you know, in his 50s. But, okay, let's put the gifting thing aside. Let's look at the tears. Let's look at the 300 handwritten letters he wrote because as a pastor, he cared about people knowing Jesus. And let's look not so much at the 300 letters I'm not writing as much as the heart that beat within the breast of someone that so was overwrought with the grace of God for such a sinner as he. Octavius Winslow, do you know that name? He was a Baptist preacher in the northeast of America who just, you cannot read this man without thinking that, you know, he's, he's, he's near glorification because he writes about the beauty of Jesus with such a fashion. You think, have I ever really seen Jesus before? I've got so many. I'm not going to linger here. Luther, I love Luther's story. Jean Valjean and the great story of Les Mis. How, how can you read that novel or see a, a good presentation of the play without saying, here's what grace does. It takes a hardened, bitter guy that's been in prison for so long and, and, and look what happens when a bishop shows up in his life and unhoods him and just blesses him with the kiss of grace. And you see that man come alive, not just to be someone that sings uh, songs to Jesus, but he shows up in his culture to act for the good of all mankind. See, grace changes you with regard to how you want to live the rest of your life. It's not, grace doesn't just free us from legalism. It frees us to engage more fully in, in Jesus' story to make all things new. Dead mentors of grace. A few praying friends with a big Jesus and callous knees. Let me ask you this. And again, if the larger category is a gospel posse walking with men in a way, get, getting a group of men that, you don't even have to call it a gospel posse. It's like, so turn this into a project. But don't live your life alone. Live with men in the way we're talking about. Let, risk letting your heart say there are I know that Jesus intends me to be a lot more free than I am. And, and, and what might it look like for me to engage more in that way of life? Well, these praying friends, let me tell you about this image and where this comes from in my life. A few praying friends with a big Jesus and callous knees. At two of the most significant and broken times in my life, I went to brothers who prayed and wept over me. I don't know who in this room has ever had the privilege of having men uh, baptize you with their tears. And that's not a goal, but it's more a description of, of, uh, of, of where do you go with your brokenness? Um, what led up to, at age 50, as I mentioned yesterday, this burnout in my life that God used as the fish to swallow me, to spit me out on the shore that I might begin to think about life other than simply living a driven life, running from so many wounds in my heart that he was prepared to bring healing to. But the very day, I'll never forget this, the very day when I was really crying uncle from my soul because I, I had nothing left in the tank. I was walking around in downtown Franklin and I went to the only place on our campus in downtown Franklin at that time that I knew to be a safe place, which was my best friend Scott Rowley's office. So I go, walk, and I, am, brothers, literally, this is no exaggeration, mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally, I am toast. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that it came to that. I walk into the office of my friend feeling so 
absolutely heavy laden. And there's another one of my good friends in the office. In fact, these two men, Scott Rowley and the other brother who was with him in his office, Michael Card, were two of the five founding members of Christ Community Church. I see these two men and I simply blurt out in their presence. And this was so completely unpremeditated, but I simply blurted out, Brothers, I have not been back to my mother's grave since she's been dead. I simply said that, fell into a chair, and then started convulsively weeping those tears that you fight all of your life as a man. It was almost like from the, from the cellar of my toes, these tears, this wound, this grieving is coming up finally in the presence of two safe men. I bend over literally like this, and there is all kind of uh, body fluid coming out of my being, more snot, more tears. And you know what? I did not care. I, I, the, it was beyond reining oneself in. And what, what I felt for my brothers marks the kind of community I want to walk in the rest of my life. Scott and Mike, both men of words, said nothing. And as I bent over, I started feeling on the back of my neck their tears. And one of the most holy baptisms I've ever known in my life. To be wept over, to be wept with. The next time I had a similar experience was that night about six years later when I, in God's providence, was brought to a safe place to articulate to another safe brother, Dan Allender, that I've already mentioned. And Dan's presence is when I was able to say, Dan, I've got a story to tell you. I need, I need to know what does this mean? And it's when I sheepishly and very reluctantly told the story of my sexual abuse. First thing Dan did, who was a brilliant uh, man in many regards, odd like me, brilliant. He came over, embraced me, and just started weeping over me. Because he too had been marked so deeply by that story. Brothers, I don't know, number one, where you're carrying the deepest wounds of your heart. I don't know where you would say right now, if I were to seek out a man or men to really to be that vulnerable with, where would I go? Please, again, don't go to shame if you cannot name anybody. I had no clue that gift would ever be in my life either. I had no clue that I would ever be the kind of man that would be comfortable in the utter brokenness of another man. That's what Grace does. Grace frees us to both know our need. I mean, it's that beautiful picture of gospel sanity in 2 Corinthians 1 when the Apostle Paul starts using words that are so freeing. We felt the sentence of death. We were overwhelmed, despairing of life. But, but God, who comforts us with the same comfort we might comfort others with, He met us. And you see, that's the way grace flows. Grace is not a static pool. It's a mighty, gushing, healing river. And as you are able to come to the place of, of owning in your own story brokenness, the Father comforts you, and, and that becomes a stewardship, a, a, a new, a new uh, part of who you are that will lead you not to get over your brokenness, but to realize that's where the aroma of grace comes out. And you start being able to love other men in a way that you are finding love in Jesus. Few praying friends with a big Jesus and callous knees. And you know what? Those callous knees prayers are not just the people that show up when you're really ready to go to your 
greatest vulnerability. Who right now in your life have you asked just to consistently pray for you? Sweet woman came up here just before um, we met. She said, Scotty, would you write your and Darlene's name down here? I want to pray for y'all. You know what? I've learned in life. Anytime anybody says they want to pray for me, man, I'm all in. Because I've lived a lot of my life, you know, not really willing to let people pray for me. I want people to pray for me. And, and who right now do you know, out of your initiation perhaps, and I think that would be really good, who's, who's praying for you? And, who do they, and what, are, what are they praying for? What are you comfortable putting on your prayer list? Pastor, if you're just asking for anointed preaching, I beg you, go a little deeper. If you're just praying for a successful church plant, please, oh, God, may God bless that church plant. But what are you aware of? You want people that hit their knees and go to a throne of grace. What do you want them to pray for you? Who, who knows? I don't suggest you put on your website every snarly thing about your heart and temptation. But who knows? Who knows? And who's praying? Don't you love the picture? I mean, there's so many pictures in Scripture that show us the way of grace. So, you know, Naaman the Syrian hears there's a prophet in Israel that can heal. And he's got leprosy. So, you know, and, and, and I relate to Naaman the Syrian because I like God to do things for me on my terms, right? So he goes to the prophet. Well, simple. Dip yourself three times in the Jordan River. Are you kidding? The smelly Jordan River? I'm not going to the Jordan River. You know, in Syria, we got far better rivers than, you know, you, you renegades, you circumcised types. Okay. You know, enjoy your leprosy. <laughs> Brothers, I... Some of us would rather, some of us be more willing to memorize the book of Second Chronicles than to humble ourselves and say, I'm a leper. I have a leprous heart. I'm a selfish, vain, lustful man. Pray for me. I want to dip myself in the river of grace. I want to swim in grace with other men that are swimming in grace. Who's praying for you? Three more images here, and then I'll be more than glad to take any questions that we have just about this, because again, there's no formula here. You know, hopefully you're already thinking right now to yourself, man, I thank God for the friends the Lord's put in my life, or I realize there's some things I can do that really will help me more in this way. Um, a, gospel, a, a couple of gospel fanny kickers. Now, what does that mean? To whom have you given permission to know your mess and to mess with your mess? I emphasize gospel fanny kickers. You've got plenty of legalists that would love to take you on. You know, there, there's, there's plenty of Job's friends that would love to line up and fix you. But, 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 but you know, do you, do you have a pastor? Every pastor needs a pastor. Um, and, and that might be even something that's a good place for some of you to begin. Who's pastoring the pastor? And I'm not saying who you're going to get some outlines from. But really, how is the good shepherd shepherding your soul? Where, where, do you, where, do you, where do you go to acknowledge this is how bad it is, how bad it hurts? Uh, when I think of gospel fanny kickers, I, I think of some of the men I walk with now. And, you know, it's not your typical accountability group. Sometimes we men, and, and I'm not going to diss at all the American Promise Keepers movement. Thank God for a lot of the good that came out of the Promise Keepers movement. At time, however, some of the men that got involved in that movement 
did not understand the, the, the real promise keepers, God himself. You know, if, if I'm just going to a meeting to get fired up and to throw a few more sticks in the fire, rededicate my rededication, that'll last as long as the music does. So I don't just need accountability with how's your quiet times, how's your this, how's your that, if you turn the computer off, if you've got covenant eyes on your computer. I mean, there, there, are, there are technical accountabilities, but who's holding you accountable for believing the gospel? You know, where, where, where are we walking in a way where there's some men that we trust enough to say? And, 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 and indeed, in time, Jack Miller became the most disruptive voice in my life. And the way that Jack had complete access to ask me anything, cause, and I knew what... Even when he asked the difficult questions, it was so about my freedom. Because Jack believed there was nobody bigger, bigger sinner than him. So I wasn't going to shock him. But, but, but right now, who have you given permission to know your mess and to mess with your mess? And you see, that's, again, that's not a separate... I'm, I'm, I didn't right now plan the next 10 years of your life with 100 friendships you don't have. <laughs> These are dimensions of good relationship that is gospel culture two more i want to pick up on one daryl mentioned so well um, in his wonderful preaching this morning six of seven a few gospel crazed proteges um probably because you know i just it's just fresh for me again as i've watched emmanuel church grow and, and raise ministry in the nashville area gotten to preach there a few times and uh, do one of the men's retreats. One of the most exciting things as I watch the way Ray's choosing to live the rest of his life is he's gathering around him men like his worship leader, Ben, and others who simply, first of all, never would have thought they would have had the access to someone like Ray, but, but decidedly Ray, who could simply work the circuit, could be out there. And if it simply was his idolatrous goal to have a big pulpit and a big named whatever, he could do that. But he's got these young men and women that simply want to say, talk to us about Jesus. Brother, thank you. That's deliberate on your part. And, and it really is exciting to see the kind of quality young people that are coming in. Uh, you change your life to do that kind of thing. Now, see, here's where that relates to some of you. Um, I don't care whether you're a pastor or whether you are a neophyte in grace, someone's looking at you behind you. And it's not get all of your gospel cookies together and then go find somebody to love. See, I got to watch Jack three years into his renewal figuring it out. And he simply said, come on with me into the mess. We'll figure this thing out together. And, and when I escaped my real perfectionistic discipleship models that made it seem more like we were G.I. Joe for Christ, drafting a few good men. You're not there at four in the morning. You don't mean it. Oh, my gosh. Isn't it amazing how much ministry we can do without the gospel? Spurgeon once said, one sermon I read by him, Spurgeon said, I'm so afraid of what our church has become. And he's talking about his own church at the time. He said, you know what? So I'm not sure we would know if God should remove the Holy Spirit because at least 80% of what we do in our church doesn't require the Holy Spirit. What a bold confession from a pastor. The point would be this. At whatever stage you are growing in your hunger for grace, look for somebody behind you. 
Again, Daryl, thank you for mentioning that today, you know, just for saying, look, you know, it, and, and again, it's not the old model of, you're the expert, go find some dummies and impress them with your togetherness. No, come on out. Yeah. Lastly, last image, joy warriors. Joy warriors. I, I, I love to finish with this one. And here's the image. Who's fighting for your joy? And whose joy are you fighting for? I, I, I want to finish with that because I, I don't want there to be this spirit of heaviness that's on us. Either one, you don't, you know, either right now you're convicted because you're such a loner and loser. <laughs> Brothers, you're not loners and losers. You are beloved of the Lord. You are His inheritance. Not simply He's given you an inheritance. He calls you His inheritance. So there's no losers in this room. There are some lonely men that really can begin to make some choices that will cost you something. But please hear, it really is about your joy. John Piper, of course, I think, you know, knows this more so than more of our contemporary preachers. I mean, he... he John makes so much an issue of joy, and, and I, I do not contest at all his theme of joy because when I read John chapter 17 and I see Jesus praying that, we, that the fullness of his joy might be in us, you know, I'd settle for 10% of Jesus' joy. <laughs> Jesus, you, hey, you don't have to be quite so generous. 1% of your joy is going to sure trump anything I got. But when the, Jesus is talking to the Trinity, as a part of the Trinity that has eternally known the fountain of pleasure, you know, when, when they're intending on our joy, see, that's where the gospel is going to take you. Not to some kind of superficial giddiness, certainly not doxological denial where we leave our problems in the parking lot and come in here and have a good time with Jesus. Brothers, this kind of joy transcends. It doesn't replace it dignifies your tears, your aches, your pains, and your longings. Who's fighting for your joy? I can tell you there's a lot going on in the world that's fighting against your joy. And, and maybe the way to begin would not to say, I don't think anyone's fighting for my joy. Maybe the way to begin would be, whose joy am I fighting for? You know, what brothers, what colleagues, what friends are you walking with in such a fashion that you would say, I'm praying, I'm praying with Jesus that his joy might be your strength. Uh, we are winding down now our time here. I want to pray for us again. Uh, but let me do this even before I pray. Um, any questions of clarification from any of this? I, I, the last thing I would have wanted this to feel like was simply, I got a lot of good stuff you don't have. Because brothers, I fight against all of this. I still want to do life alone. So if for no other reason, Steve, thank you for giving me this topic because I need to re-gospel up in, in the community that God has given me. Um, questions, clarifications, anything about any of this? Um, this isn't your last chance, but yes, Philip. Oh, good, good question. Yeah, yeah, let me, let me say this. It's a good thing that this gospel posse I'm a part of that I talk about, and I, and I experience gospel posse-ness with other friends, but, you know, one of the good things about having a group of guys that are not 
in your church primarily, you know, some, some outside. It's kind of like, have you ever uh, listened to Garrison Keeler, Lake Wobegon? Talks about Pastor Ingfist and uh, I forgot all the comical figures around Lake Wobegon. But, you know, there's a, the pastor's consortium where they get second opinions from each other. And, and I'm, I'm not saying, suggesting Garrison Keeler's your uh, prototype of a theologian or, or a lot of things other than humor. But, um, but I will say this, I'm glad that I've got guys in other states and cities that we can gather. There's an objectivity. Some ways there's a safety that goes with being with a group of people that, you know, and, and you, can, you have access to them for the rest of the year. So uh, I would suggest it's good to have some of your important friendships that aren't right under your nose, but you for sure need someone walking with where you are that, that, you know, you can see each other because we can abstract relationship. You know, we guys, we can pose and pretend even through our weeping. So if you just have a kumbaya fest once a year, you know, with, with your, you know, extended gospel posse, you know, you, you, you can pull that off. That's how really our friend had that drug addiction going on, hid it from us. You see, you get closer, closer, closer. So maybe a way to think about this would be, um, Think about the friendships you already have in place. Up the gospel ante a little bit. Maybe you're sitting with someone that even right now you're thinking, you know what? We talk a lot. Of, we talk about the maple leaves a lot. A lot. We talk about any number of things. Talk about our favorite book. You know, maybe let's just let's just look at the end of 2014 and going into 2015. You know, changing the perspective on our relationship a little bit. Let's just don't make it be so safe. Now, guys, it will not be a matter of getting yourself three candles, get into a dark room, and creating a mood. Just be honest with each other. Just let the gospel expose you. Cheer up. You're a lot worse off than you think you are. Cheer up. You're so much more beloved, known, accepted, delighted in than you ever hoped or imagined. Both are true because, because the gospel is true. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father... Thank you for continually rescuing me from my commitment to aloneness. Father, thank you for continually rescuing me from the satisfaction of living out of my head and not my heart. Thank you, Father, for these last 15 years in particular for making it impossible for me to do gospel life apart from other community. Thank you for living in a city that I get to walk with friends and colleagues like Ray to reinforce the things I know to be true. Lord, thank you for dead people that love Jesus so well that, that whose testimonies continue that we can access. Thank you, Lord, that, again, this is not another arena of performance, a pass or fail thing. Lord, we thank you that we've already passed famously in the gospel. We are fully and eternally accepted in the beloved. You cannot love us more. You will not love us less. Father, you have made Jesus' righteousness our very own. The pressure is off. But Lord, may that pressure being removed free us now to live and love well until the true King comes back to finish making all things new. I pray for Men in this room, Lord, who perhaps have voiced from some stories this conference that have laid hidden for a while, I pray for good follow-up, Lord, even as we will finish out tonight, Lord, hearing Ray preach more about, Lord, this wonderful gospel culture, uh, the, the, the call to new 
commandment living, loving as we are loved. Lord, we're going to trust you now to open doors that no man can shut and shut doors that no man can open. We're going to plan, but we're going to trust you to order our steps to live as men engaging with one another, encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the great day of Christ approaching. Together we cry out, hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a salvation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank